Night Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic Swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And I am very happy to announce we are beginning a new series... It is one that Zach gave me a little more control over than he has with all the episodes in the past. And it is foreign animation. I'm jumping right into it. So by foreign, we mean non-U.S. That is foreign relative to Zach and I. We are these American people. We are talking about any animated movie or TV show or visual album. I don't think we have any of those on the docket. uh, That was created by someone overseas. Uh, all the ones we do talk about overseas. I would have done a like a Canadian movie or something, but I don't think they're on the list. It doesn't matter. The first one we're talking about today, one of my favorite movies of all time, The Triplets of Belleville. This is going right in line with Fantastic Planet. This is another French movie. This is a more recent French movie. Uh, 2003? 2003, I believe, this came out. Um, like I said, this is one of my favorite movies of all time, and something that surprised me greatly when we were preparing for this podcast, Zach had never seen this before. Is that accurate? Yes, I had never seen this before. Have you been, heard of it? Yes, I'm glad you asked that question. Much like um, Total Recall, I have a canned answer for this. Ooh. Was I've been aware of this film for pretty much ever since it was released. Okay. I can still remember. It's, it's always been on my radar for, forever. In that I can remember when I lived in Florida... Uh, I saw, I think we, my mother and I saw either like an ad in the newspaper for it. And we we're like, this looks different. And <laughs> there was this movie theater by, not by us. It was like around 20 minutes away from our house called the Citrus Park Mall. Or that was the mall. And it had a movie theater. And that was like a huge novelty to me at the time. And I'm like, it was just, it was this really cool mall. Um, very big mall, very clean. And it, it played, it had, like, I think something like maybe 20 screens. So it got a lot it got more oh, wow. movies than a conventional movie theater or your normal multiplex one. Mm-hmm. And so like they were playing it and we're like, Oh, we should go see that. But my mother hates driving. Like if it's more than like five minutes, it's like, Nope, that's it. We're never going there again. And so like, I think we went there like three times. Like I loved it. I loved that going to that mall. It was only 20 minutes away from our house, but we went there, I think like three times, like while we lived there, I think I saw star Wars, Phantom Menace. I saw Attack of the Clones there. Nice. And I think I went there one oh, we saw Ghost, James Cameron's Ghost of the Abyss. Because that was the only place it was playing. Uh, <laughs> that was it. We never I don't think we ever went there again after that. And so like we were like, oh, we should go see that. We never spoiler alert, we never ended up seeing it. And so and like you, it's all You never even looked it up later on. This well, wasn't something that you Oh go on. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm cutting Zach off. Being, I'm sorry. Being rude. It was always on my. Like, I always knew it because I, I, I have that image of Souza, Madame Souza, Madame Souza, right? Madame Souza. I've always had that image of her in the posters of the triplets. I, that poster has always been ingrained in my mind. Um, I know it. Like, I know what it is as soon as I see it. And so, like, it's always been on my radar. But like, it's something I've never really pursued because, like, I had the memory. It's one of those things where the memory of going to see it and never seeing it is more important. Was more important than actually seeing the film. Like a couple of times, I had gotten it from the library. It would just sit there. It's like, eh, I don't really want to watch this. Like, there's, there's other things I want to do. Um, and so when Rob suggested this, and it's worth noting that when I first got to know Rob in his bedroom when he used to live in New York like 30 years ago, he that was what like, Rob. <laughs> I, think it was, like, I think it was about 300 years ago, right? It was close to it. So when we when we met each other right after Desert Desert Storm, it was that 
we we got like Rob had a bookshelf with like six movies on it, which you juxtapose that with my collection of movies, which is like forty eight stacks high, no matter where I go in life. And like Rob had a couple movies, like he had like Triplets of Belleville, um, Heck Boy. That's a deep cut <laughs> reference. Um, that's still one of my favorite stories. Uh, but you had, he had a couple of movies. Like, I remember he had this movie, and I'm like, okay, like it was just something that always hung. Like, it's part of my memories. First memory is never getting to see it. Second memory is Rob having in his collection. Okay. And like I said, I, I never really, per- I never pursued the movie until this morning when I sat down and finally watched it after 14 years. You watched I it today. Today, this Whoa, morning. Whoa, okay. So it's fresh right in my mind. Man, so, I didn't expect that you were going to watch it today, but that's cool. This morning. So after Get 14 it. years, I finally saw The Triplets of Belleville. Okay. And I have to say, the main thing that ran through my mind while I was watching this was, oh dear, what would 11-year-old me be thinking about while I watch this? <laughs> how, how would your childhood have responded to this movie being a part of it? That type of thing? That, I'm, I was watching this because, again, like I said, we, my, my, if I can usually hook my mother, like when I was younger, if I could hook my mother on something, I had a pretty good chance of actually getting to do it. Like it's like, hey, mom, I want to go do this. If, she, if she's like, we'll see, 0% chance of happening. But she's like, oh, that looks interesting, and it's, and it's authentic. I'm like, this has a really strong chance of happening. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, so, like, the whole time as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, what would 11-year-old me and my mother be, like, what would, what would the conversation be after the movie? Like, what would be that thing? It's like, well, that just happened. <laughs> and, and like, I, and as I watched it, I, I kind of knew what I was getting. Like, after the first five minutes, I knew what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm trying to think, how would I? Because at the time, like, why, why? Again, not to get too off topic here, but like, this was. I think this was released in the U. I know this was released in France in 2003. I don't think this starred really hit. Or uh, my main memory of when it hit U.S. theaters was early 2004, probably this exact same time, 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but do you know when this was released in the U.S. So theatrical. So I, I, I'm glad you bring this up to tie into your point. I do want to mention very quickly that this is somewhat of a popular movie. Maybe not yes. popular in the sense that people are like, oh, it's the greatest thing. But people know about it. This isn't something that is obscure. Um, and to answer Zach's question, in my research of actually looking into some of the history of this movie, uh, this movie was a contender at the Academy Awards in 2004 for Best Animated Feature Film. So that would have to mean it either came out late 2003 or very early 2004? Yeah, I'm looking right now. November 26, 2003 was its official U.S. I do have to. Release. I do have to mention that I'm very upset because it did not win that category. Do you know what it lost to? Oh, I know. Oh, I, Finding, Finding Nemo. Nemo. Of course, it's Pixar. Pixar. This is Pixar. infinitely better than Finding Nemo. I love Finding Nemo. Don't get me wrong. This is an infinitely better movie Finding in Nemo every is sense. A horrible of Pixar film. It's probably the second worst Pixar film after. No, it's second only to Toy Story three. What about the dino? Didn't they do a dinosaur one Pixar? Yes, and that, that outright bombed. In the oh, 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 and, and that's better in your ranking than, than I've this never one. seen. I've never seen the last dinosaur or the lost, whatever it's called. I've never seen that, but I would it's, imagine it's better it's than better. Okay. <laughs> um, so yes, no, two thousand three. Yes. 
Oh yeah, it's okay. So okay, as I'm watching, for some reason I have a memory. This was spring of 2004. For some reason, that's just in my head because I can't imagine my mother at Christmas time being like, "Let's go see this." Like I, I can't imagine my mother <laughs> driving. Never mind going to a mall. I can't imagine her driving like near a mall during Christmas time. I'm trying to think. Like I'm trying to go back in time and think about like, what was I watching during the spring of 2004. And I remember quite vividly what at that time period my life was very. Um, memorable for me because i was right as i was about to move to new york so i kind of savored those last few moments of florida and i remembered exactly (laughs) what i watched during like the spring of 2004 i was savored the right word for last moments in florida yes Yes, it was yes it was yes trust me i i i could i could spend i could do a a multi-layered podcast about zachary and his affinity for florida it's like i'm I'm, I'm I'm trying to figure not to get really really off topic i'm trying to figure (laughs) out I'm trying to figure out what like it's not a like fetish is sexual, but I think it's the word is idealized. I think I've idealized my my time in Florida so much that I think in a weird way, like everyone says like, oh, if you if you build something up so high, it's there's no way it could ever properly um, satisfy you. I think I've gotten to a point with Florida where I've built it up. I see it as my only salvation to happiness in this world. Uh, you were talking about <laughs> we're doing deep cuts right now. I'm not even joking. But I think after so many years of just looking back at that time period in my life, I think I've actually built it up as the only salvation I can ever have of being happy. I think what? But it's not a fetish. Your no, only salvation of being it, happy is non. No, but it's not sexual. But it's not, I don't know. It depends on your definition of a fetish. If you if you present me with a definition of fetish that does not have any sexual undertones to it then maybe if like there probably is a definition of fetish that doesn't involve sexualizing something yeah yeah i'm talking about your definition of fetish like you are you personally are separating the idealism of your love for florida from sexual aspects that's what you're saying well that's okay and i guess that definition would be idealizing something like the the like i said um a nirvana so to speak like a nirvana bliss um, for lack of a better term, but that's that that that's a podcast for another day. That that's the uh, semantics <laughs> podcast where we define words based on how we're feeling right now. But I would so I would get behind that podcast. I hope I get, get to be a host of that podcast. Oh dear lord! That's, after we, after this transitions from the dean from the Savu podcast to the um, uh, what was it? who else were we doing? Who else were we doing? Oh, Joe Dante podcast. Then we're going to do a semantics podcast. Okay. We're just going to keep transitioning. Uh, but no, so I, I remembered very vividly what my taste in movies during that spring was. And this is the movies that I was watching during this, if I would have seen this film. Okay. Disney Channel original movies. I think that's just a blanket term because they air one of those once every three months. Like Brink? No, less Brinkish. If you, oh. if you, you don't remember um, Stuck in the Suburbs. Or Cadet Kelly. I know. Oh, Cadet Perfect. Kelly. I remember Cadet Kelly. With Hilary Duff and Christy yeah. Carlson Romano. And Gary uh, Gary Cole. As really? the gruff military instructor. Yeah, Gary well, I Cole. I, yeah, I didn't remember that. Space. I remember the name of the movie. Um, <laughs> yes. But no, like that's that's what I was watching. Um, um, Agent Cody Banks 2. That's another okay. one. Okay. Um, Hellboy. I was getting into Hellboy during that time period. Um, cause I think Guillermo del Toro released that, I think, in... Um, April or March or April of 2004. Great movie. Yes. Um, even though I, I crapped on the second one for getting, for setting up a third one so much to the point where well, see, um, Guillermo Zach- del Toro heard me and said, F you guy. And so I'm never making a third one. Zach, you have to realize the second Hellboy wasn't a movie. It was a tumor. <laughs> 
got to the studio set of it after Cor <laughs> released it. Oh, oh, we're talking, we're talking deep cuts. I hope this deep all cut. stays in. The audience it's can go. Staying. Man, they're friends. <laughs> <laughs> all these inside jokes that no one's good to appreciate. Other than oh, us. oh, I love it. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, so, so that was I'm that was my it. that that was my time frame at the time, or my my mindset. So I'm trying to think. How do you rationalize Agent Cody Banks, um, Cadet Kelly, Hellboy, and Triplets of Belleville? Yeah, that that's what I'm trying to think of right now because you pose this as what the question is: What would this have movie, or what would I have responded to this movie with as a child watching these other films? And that's a good question. I really like that question, but I I don't know. You know, you'd be the person to best know. Um, I do want to say that I think I saw that this movie when I was pretty young. I think I think I saw this movie the year it came out. Uh, Zach might have suspicions, but I did not find this movie through my mother. My mother being a Francophile, a lover of the French language. She teaches the French language. Uh, I found out about this movie before she did. And the reason I found out about this movie is the music. Uh, the song that the triplets of Belleville perform, it's called Belleville Rendezvous. I heard that song, and the first time I heard it, just the actual song, I said, what is this? What is it related to? I need to know more about it. And that was the hook for me in this movie. And when I actually bought the movie, and, or watched the movie, I didn't see it in theaters, unfortunately. I think I, I found out about it in you know 2004 when it was on DVD already. Um... I watched this movie, and it was, it is a changing point of my life. It is a turning point of my life. I would say this is the movie that made me realize you didn't need people talking to tell a story. Literally everything I think I had watched and become familiar with up to that point was a normal movie in the sense that it was dialogue, scenes, you know, denouement, plot, climax, all that stuff. Triplets of Belleville was the first movie for me that said, we are going to tell a movie through motion, song, and grunts. And I loved it. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And that's still why I love it today. I would say this is in my top ten movies of all time. Probably top five. I'm not willing to commit to that right now, but definitely Uh top ten, probably top five. What this movie does with its sound, is unparalleled. It is beautifully done. And I'm just going to say it, this movie's perfect to me. The story, the animation, the music, everything, I absolutely love it. So I want to say now that we've got our history, both of our history with this movie, and Zach having seen it today for the first time, that's so cool. Zach, what did you think of this movie? Oh, it's weird. (laughs) <laughs> it's a weird movie. Well, yes, like it's, I, it's weird, but it's a weird movie. But but did you love it? Uh, I, as I was watching it, the first five ten minutes, I'm like with the whole thing where you have um, like I, I don't know our characters' names. I have to I have to look up every character's name. You got um, you got Graham, you got Madame Souza. She's the main character. Yes, Madame Souza. Got the dog. What's That's the grandson's name? Champion. Champion, okay, champion. You and got then champion. You got the triplets of Belleville. Well, they're not. They're, like I said, they're. I, I was surprised what little role they had in this. Um, what? For a movie. What? What do you mean, little they're role? The, they're the last half of the. I did the second half. They're not really truly introduced into the, la- the second half of the film. 
Well, yeah, they're not introduced, but they're they're the motivation for Madame Souza to continue her search in Belleville. Oh, oh I, I know, but like, okay, when, when like when it's like you kind of sit there watch a movie about Star Wars, and only in the second half only involves space. You're like, that's a little weird. It's just it's just the idea. Like, from the titular, think about the the titular characters are not really major story components until the second. Like, yes, we're introduced to them in the very beginning of the film. Like I said, no. I, I, you're taking. I don't. I, I hope that did not come across as me um, taking a shot at the film. It's not. Oh but no, it, Zach! It, you never have to worry. I I will never judge you any more or less than I always do. do. So okay. you don't you you don't have to worry about that. I didn't take it offensive or anything. And that, and that um, explains to me absolutely nothing. But <laughs> um, but no. Like I said, like as I, as I was watching this, the, like, while um, Champion is a boy. That's I'm like okay this this is neat like, like as I was watching that you have the whole thing when she gets like first she gets like he's watching the person play the piano she tries to teach him the piano um, and he wants no parts of that then she gets him the dog or the puppy and he wants no part like, he's watching the train set go around yep and it's like oh that's cute and then obviously she gets him the tricycle and he, his mind is just blown about that that's so, his love yes yes Bicycle. and then and then the movie transition how old is he supposed to be for the rest of the movie. Um, I don't know for sure. I, I'm pretty sure there is uh, an upper age limit to when people actually uh, throw their hat into the ring for truly contending in the Tour de France. Like, I don't think there's an age limit on the Tour de France, but that's a main part of this movie. Champion is training to partake in the Tour de France. Um, so I would think he is 28. In the research oh, that really? I did... Yes, the research that I did about full-time cyclists... And professional cyclists, uh, that's kind of their prime age, is like the mid to late 20s. That's what I found. So that's what I, I've oh, always assumed okay. for, for his character. I figured he was maybe 9, 10, and then... She, well, there's no way, because the dog couldn't be 20 years old. Uh, uh, okay, well, well, here you're getting to the point where it doesn't matter. The dog is alive. Matter. The dog is his know, companion. He's ageless. Well, well okay, okay, but how I was interpreting it... Um, like I said, no, but anyway, you have the, you have the, the jump in time and you see a very distorted and in my opinion, jarring bot body physique of him with his distorted calves. Yeah. Like, um, and oh, thighs. like and at that moment, the movie turned me off to a certain degree. What? Because like, no, 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 not completely. Okay. Okay. But, okay. But it was that moment where it was like, okay, it went from being like a cute little French film French animated film to like oh this is it, they're going again like I said and, and it's all preference it's all a matter of what the artist wants to do to each his own yes. but it's that whole idea of okay it looks distorted and it's intentionally grotesque and on a personal level I don't like that because oh, I, I don't okay. I don't like the body being grotesque that goes back all the way to my thing with the elephant man I just don't like that it just it's, it's a turn off yes. yes. Um, I just don't like them. Like, and never mind. Like, obviously, his body again. It's all intentional, so it's not like it's any sort of fault in the yeah, animation. So you're, or, you're saying or that you, you just don't. You are uh, turned off by the idea of viewing physical deformation. That's just yes. not your cup of tea. That's, that's not fair. My cup of tea. No, that's fair. But and I that's... do want to make the point about this movie that this movie, its animation and its art style, um, people look differently based on what they do. Like, all of the bicyclists look the same. They look deformed, and they don't look like regular people, but they're all drawn in the same way. 
all the mob bosses are drawn in the same way, very differently from all the other characters. And while they don't look human, there's this weird kind of, you know, what you do with your life defines who you are. And and they're kind of turning the tables because it's not like, you know, here's just your physical appearance and you do what you do with your life. It's more like this is what you do with your life and it forms your physical appearance. And that's one of my favorite aspects of this movie that it takes that stance. That's a really interesting viewpoint for me. Yeah, like I said, like, obviously that is, like, I didn't think of it that way until you just brought up though. But yes, between the mob bosses, the henchmen, the um, cyclist, the the, who, the the people, the citizens of Belleville, which well, is a, a parody well, that, of America. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, clearly, a very, a very ham-fisted parody of America. Well, the, the, um, their, their parody of the Statue of Liberty. Uh, yes. I, it sucks that we don't have a clip for this for our, our, our audio podcast. But there is a parody of the Statue of Liberty in this movie uh, where it is a very obese woman holding a torch and a cheeseburger. <laughs> of course. Well, like I said, like in a very cynical sense, that ma- it makes perfect sense. Yep. Um, oh, even yeah. the, like, even like the, the ships, the, 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 the boat, the ships are like, I, I looked at them like, Jesus, what the hell is that supposed to be? Oh my God. I'm, I, I. I'm I'm excited you brought this up because I would have brought it up. This is actually one of the points on my notes that has a star next to it. Wow. Out of everything I've ever seen in my life, I'm a huge fan of animation. I do my own pencil artwork, so I really love looking at other people's animation and getting into the details of it. The Triplets of Belleville has the greatest animated ships of anything <laughs> ever. This is the best rendition of a ship in all of history. Nothing will ever top this, Zach. Is I'm so any, glad like, you're bringing it up. Is there even a very distant second or third? Mm, no, no. Second no, and okay, third good, are this movie good. as well. This, this, they, the way that they... To, to describe it in the way that I view it, you know, imagine a cargo ship. That's the one I'm picturing right here. Because we do... We get like a pedal boat at one point. I think there's like a rowboat in, in yes. some scene randomly. But the main ships... Imagine a cargo ship that is just as tall as a skyscraper, and it's not even the whole the whole hull. Uh, that's a tongue twister. Imagine the point of the hull. If you know anything about shipping, you know conforming boards. the The material has to come to a point to retain buoyancy and to distribute the stress appropriately. Imagine if that point was elongated, as tall as a skyscraper. So the actual bulk of the ship, the the deck, and the body, and the windows and everything are hundreds of feet off the ground, off the ocean. These ships defy all physics. They are the skyscrapers of ships, and they are the greatest rendition of sea travel we will ever get in any movie ever, Zach. That's what I'm saying. Did I Did I describe that well? Zach is reaching uh, yeah. for the spritz bottle, so I'm <laughs> the a little spritz, unsure of how I feel spritz. right now. I, I haven't pulled it. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but it's it's there. It's on the table. Um, <laughs> I've never I've never heard anyone with such passion describe their love for an animated boat before. But this is they are beautiful. This movie, I'll just say it off the bat. The, this animation has had such a huge inspiration on my own style of artwork. And that's another reason I, I appreciate it so much, because it did so much to me in terms of sound, in terms of visuals and things like that. And Zach's just saying it's weird. <laughs> when you compare it to what you would expect, 
And there's a lot of things in this movie that, like I said, certain aspects, like, yes, the people are all, maybe other than Madame Souza and the triplets, all the people are grotesque looking. I think that's fair to say. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say grotesque. I would say deformed. I do not find anything in this movie unpleasant to look at. I actually find this movie very aesthetically pleasing. Granted, granted, there's a caveat, I also enjoy the sound of nails on a chalkboard. That does not make me cringe. That actually makes me like it. I like the sound of static and so things like that. So I'm not saying that this is uh, an opinion that the, the common man should take, but nothing about this movie turns me off. I really enjoy watching it. Once again, we disagree. <laughs> no, like I said, it's just, but you have to admit, though, the animation style is trying to be non-conventional. Yes, it is. It is uh, purposely exaggerated for for plot devices, I would say. The point well, I brought up before, well, yeah, that, that it's trying, all the it's characters trying to, look a certain way. Yes, it's trying to get characterization of, of Americans, or as I read online, apparently it's a mix of uh, New York, Quebec, and what Montreal? Montreal, yes. Uh, there's actually a shot in this in this movie uh, for the audience and for Zach. Maybe I lived in Montreal for a little bit for about a you know few months. And there's a shot in this movie where they the the wine building, the French wine center, that is looks almost identical to a building that I was very close to in Montreal. They didn't have a fucking you know a pillar wasn't made out of a wine bottle, but it looked very similar the architecture style. So yes, uh, America and and Canada, you know, kind of the southern Canada. Yes. So like I said, that's that was my thing. Is that once you start getting to the the over enlarged uh, uh, thighs and calves of champion, I'm like okay, a part of this movie, like I said, a little switch in my brain got flung, flung, okay, or flipped, okay, and and that's and I'm like okay, I enjoyed it. Like like I said, I was much like Fantastic Planet, I was thoroughly engaged. Good. Um, I, I was engaged. Like, like I said, I was not. I would think I'd say I was a little disappointed. I was expecting something a little bit more conventional, maybe a little bit more um, cutesy, so to speak. Not not um, minimus and maximo, <laughs> but I, I I did expect something along the lines of a, a little more conventional, it's based on the poster. Because the poster, everything okay. does look. But again, Madame Souza is meant to look very soft. She is probably the least jarring looking character in this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, like I said, I think easily between the deformed thighs and calves, I think the henchmen, them alone, a lot of their, I think some of their actions are just straight up surreal. Okay, so yes, we do have a scene where two henchmen, the henchmen are portrayed as boxes. They have perfectly square shoulders. They all look identical. And we do get a scene where two henchmen literally walk into each other. Like they press their faces against each other. And then both of them turn to open up into one direction. It is very surreal. Yes. I think that's the only moment in the film that is really surreal. Other than that, it's... It, 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 it's a very realistic sort of universe that they're living in outside oh, of the boats. Yeah. Outside, well, okay, well, let me rephrase that. Yes, you have the giant boats that obviously couldn't sit there, exist in that sort of capacity, and then at the same time, you also have Madame Souza with the dog paddling across the Atlantic Ocean, and her using the dog, using Bruno as a uh, spare tire. Like, no, like, <laughs> I, I guess I might, I might have to, re- I, I might have to retract that statement now that I said it. Yes, that's a good that's, point. And, and the house that's tilted like a what, eighty degree angle. Oh so my god, that's, go by. that is one of my favorite things in all of cinematic history. That we get a scene at the beginning. The dog is a puppy, 
and it like its tail gets run over by a model train and then after the time jump we see that their entire house has been skewed by train tracks and the dog has to bark at it every time it comes by and that not just is there. It's anytime there's a train, he has. Anytime to there's that. a train, yes. But I love that fact. I love the fact that that there this train, which so nuancedly inconvenienced this character at the beginning, has now entirely skewed their place of residence. That is a beautiful connection to me over a time jump. Love it. Uh... <laughs> Zach is. Like I said, Zach, is, no, Zach no, does not no. know whether or not to use the the battery acid at this point. No, no, I can't use the, ba- can't use the battery acid yet. Uh, no, not that when someone loves something. I can't take the battery acid for that. Like I said, it was just I, I experienced it. It's like anything in life. Usually, the first time I watch something, something especially something like there's only a few things left in my life like this, where it's something I've been building up for over ten years. Yeah. And I, I finally got to experience it. So it's kind of one of those things where I know I would imagine as I was watching it. I kind of, as I was growing, like I said, how the main way I viewed this was trying to look at it under the lens of would I have appreciated it when I was 11 years old, which I think is, I think the the obvious answer is no. I think at that age you really can't appreciate art, which is what this is first and foremost. I think it's art first, and then it's probably entertainment a close second. And as I was I watching this, well, okay, yeah. And I, as I was watching this, I just kept trying to think because, like, one thing I always did when I was younger, I was always in competition. And much like the comment about my cousin, this is getting bleeped out as well, is with my nephew, was that we were always, like, it was very much a low-key conflict, but we were always trying to amass a bigger, like, movie collection than the other. And his Mm -hmm. parents, like, just bought movies all the time. Like, I remember I'd go over to his house, and they'd have movies, like, in shrink wrap, like, all over the place. They just would buy movies and just never watch them. Oh, so they'd be, like, unopened packages. Yeah, kind of like you buy it from Walmart, because they went to Walmart all the time. Okay, and they, and they just, I, I guess, and my nephew, again, he always, like, him and I always had, like, we always were competing with each other over things. It's because of him, I got into Yu-Gi-Oh, and I ended up just taking it all, like, he got into it first, and then, like, introduced it to me, and I just went, like, balls to the walls with it, and just blew him out of the water with how much <laughs> I got into it. But, like, he, like, his parents were always, like, and plus, he was, like, the definition of a spoiled brat, like, he, again, he got everything he wanted, and then some. Or obviously, I was much more restrained. So like, I remember, like, at this is a little bit more context, and this does fit into the time period. I remember after I came out of the Matrix Revolutions at age eleven, my mother like hated it, and I didn't. I wasn't that thrilled with it compared to the Matrix Reloaded. Even okay. when I was eleven years old, and my mother's like, "What do you think of it?" And I deliberately said, "I really liked it," because I, even though I wasn't thrilled with it, I wanted the DVD at the time, so I knew if I said I didn't like it, she remember that, and when I wanted it, come like. Five, six months later, I'd be told no. <laughs> so, like, I would say something like that. And, like, and so, I, I again, thinking back to that same story, again, that mind, I'm putting myself in my mindset. And I'm like, would I have, like, after we watched this, six months later, would I have asked to buy this? And I don't uh, have an answer to that. Because, like, ooh, that's, like, okay. what, what, am I th- what I've always done over the years is, like, if I liked a movie in theaters, even slightly, I always try to buy the DVD or the Blu-ray. So, like, I have it in my quote-unquote catalog. So, mm-hmm. like, I, I, one of my favorite stories with my mother, and this is getting really off topic, is that once we were watching, is Robert Members, The Ghost Rider with Pierce Brosnan and Ewan McGregor. We were watching that on Showtime. The power <laughs> went out during the last half, right after, spoiler alert, Pierce Brosnan is shot. Oh. Mother, my mother had the exact same reaction. And she's like, oh, and I'm like, wait, wait. And I went into my room, 
pulled out the DVD, and I'm like, I got it. I got it. And, nice. And that's why yeah. I, I always, anytime I like something, even if I'm not overwhelmingly thrilled with it, I like having it in my catalog. And I still don't know whether I would have done that now. I mean then, excuse me, whether I, if I would have done that mm-hmm. then. Because yeah. now I've kind of backed away from doing that because movies are expensive and I'm running out of, not expensive, but I'm running out of space to put things. So I have to be a little bit more selective in what I purchase. So, like, maybe that's bleeding into my thinking of, of this movie. I know infinitely much more about movies now than what I did when I was 11. Like, like the 11-year-old watching Asian Cody Banks 2, Frankie Nunez in London, I don't think he could have appreciated this the way I'm appreciating Even if I'm not thrilled with this movie the same way Rob is, I think I will appreciate this movie immensely more than 11-year-old me would have. So, like I guess if I do think the... I don't know. The same reason why I'm a little turned off to the grotesqueness of the, the character's design, with the exception of the triplets in um, Madame Souza, I don't know if maybe I would have responded to it more back then, because I at that point I wouldn't... Again, this is pre-Eraserhead. Um, this is really pre-Elephant Man phobia. So maybe I have actually would have responded to it more then. Okay. Well, to, 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 to respond to your point, which I completely understand. I think you, you made a really good argument for how you think you would have responded to this when you were younger. I said it before, but I have to say it again. Um, we're disagreeing. I saw this when I was young, and it changed my life. Like, this was a big thing for me and music and visuals, um, but we don't have to harp on that too much. That's a, that's a really good point that you made, that you brought up. I do want to ask you about the artwork because you mentioned that in your response as well. Uh, the grotesqueness. I'm doing air quotes because I don't think it's grotesque. Uh, rewatching this in the many years and the many times I've rewatched this, there is actually one animator that I think did not work on this project, but I find very similar. And that animator is John Dilworth. You may know oh, him. God. He oh, is God. He's the creative force behind Courage the Cowardly Dog. Oh, God. He's, that, he's the last person anyone should have given a children's TV show to. Well, uh, spoiler alert, that's one of my favorite television shows of all time, that and we're going to talk is, about it on, on this show. The more I watch, I, I have no idea how I will. Okay, I know we're going to talk about Courage eventually. There might be an entire <laughs> series devoted to Courage. There's a Christopher we, Walken robot in one of the episodes. I was so worried what others would think of me. I stopped believing in myself. I don't want to destroy things. I want the little reindeer. I don't doubt that at all. That show is terrible. Like, There's a Sean Connery while. snowman. It was inevitable, but I'll create a new frozen home where I can keep cool thanks to my ingenious invention. Goldfinger, you're the one with the minus touch. <laughs> I, that, and sadly, that's one of the least scary moments of that show. <laughs> No, that that man should not have been allowed anywhere near Cartoon Network. They okay, should so, like, they should kick him out of the building and put a restraining order. So Zach, him. Zach and I disagree on this, of course, but but really, what do you think about that comparison? Do you see similarities between this movie and Courage the Cowardly Dog in the I animation? Would say this, this is oh, this is infinitely more normal than Courage. I'm, I guess I have no idea how. Okay, to no, Courage. okay, that's fair. I would in in the four seasons that Courage ran, I'm pretty sure it was four. Uh, they did some crazy things visually. Don't get me wrong. They blended 
a lot of interesting animation styles. But when I look at, say, Champion, the deformed cyclist with the giant calves and thighs and nose and, you know, he's a he's a stick skinny person because all he does is ride a bike. I think of the embellishment that they used in Courage the Cowardly Dog. When a certain character was strange in some way, their physical appearance reflected that. And I find I find a good comparison. I, I would agree with you, though, that Courage the Cowardly Dog is much, much... Courage the Cowardly Dog might actually be grotesque. I might agree with you on that one. <laughs> I, okay, I, you, you make a good point. Embellishment might be the right word. Um, I would say for this, it's embellishment borderline on grotesque in, in certain circumstances. Because the, the, the Belleville residents are, I think, meant to be grotesque. They're, they are meant to be unsettling. I, again, they're, they're, they're meant to be, again, they're meant to look, uh, again, grotesque, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, but no, Courage, no, Courage is scary. Like, like, I, I, I loved Courage growing up. Like, that was, like, was kind of like... Like I know, back in the '80s, people had like the Neverending Story, In the Dark Crystal, and um, Return to Oz. Like that was like early 2000s courage for like our generation. Yeah, C- courage is scary. I, I I still have no idea how that like how any of that got put on the air. I watched. I uh, I, I, I had probably, nightmares. Once again, Zach and I are different people. I, I probably love courage. I, I love probably courage grab a few up. episodes of Courage every week and watch them. I'm not surprised, and that explains a lot. <laughs> And like, and that's no, like, like I loved Courage. I wa- it was like up, you know, like Ed, Ed and Eddie was my favorite Cartoon Network show at the time. Okay. It, I, I, I loved watching Courage. Like, I think, like, in some of those first season episodes are fantastic in exercise of trying to scare your audience out of the room in a very <laughs> comical way. But it's like, like there are, like, okay, ugh, tangent. I don't want to discuss the Courage series, which is obviously inevitable at this point. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah, no courage. I, that's a good point you bring up, though. I'm going to say less because I think I think this is art. The grotesqueness has a, everything in the film has a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing is arbitrary. John Dilworth is a pervert and a sick man. Uh, John Dilworth John is Dilworth, a genius. <sighs> no, John Dilworth shouldn't be allowed near a children's cable network. No. Uh, we need more. He needs to work on Sophia the First, Zach. We need more of that. Absolutely not. (laughs) I'm glad that nobody's giving him any more money. If someone wants to give him money to do weird crap in his basement, by all means. But I'm so glad no one's giving him money when it comes to children's entertainment. Uh, (laughs) But no. And that's, again, bringing back the point you brought up, though. But yes, I think the the grotesque animation and embellishments are there for a purpose. Like I said, certain elements are meant to be surreal on purpose. Like the boats, the henchmen, things like that. Even like the um, uh, champions, fellow um, cyclists that are like are genuinely spooky to look at sometimes with like their uh, protruding jawline. They're wheezing. Yes, they are out of breath constantly. Yes. Uh, so no, like I said, I, I think it's. Like I said, I think this is a very well-made film. I think that I, I think in a, in a just world, this probably would have won the Academy Award over Finding Nemo. I, I, I again. I, I, well, like I said, but that, that's never going to happen. It's just it's a Pixar. Pixar runs the tables. I know. We have the the movie that won has a scene about touching a butt. I know what that is. Oh, oh, Sandy Plankin saw one. He called. He said it was called a uh, a butt. Oh, wow, that's a pretty big butt. Oh, look at me! I'm gonna go touch the butt. I'm gonna touch the butt. I'm gonna touch the butt. Yes, it's a great scene. It's hilarious. I reference it almost goddamn every week in my day to day life. 
but Triple to Belleville is an infinitely better movie than Touch yes. in the Butt. <laughs> and I agree with you. I guess it just will. No, I guess I think as a, I might not have your same levels enthusiasm on like a um, favorite uh, preferences in film, but I sure. think if I was doing a, a t- giving a seminar or a lecture on French animated cinema of the 21st century, it'd be difficult not to include this or at least right not on. highlight it. Right on. Good. Good. That's, I'll accept that. That, that as as uh, much as I've learned in this podcast about how much Zach and I disagree with each other, I will accept that response to this movie. I'm happy with that. <laughs> like I said, I, I think I think depending on the right um, qualifiers and criteria, I could see this definitely. Be someone looking at this as if it were a masterpiece. Um, yes. I think that's so subjective. I I you can't place that on someone the same way. I'm looking. It's funny. Rob keeps mentioning the fact that like we keep talking about so many of these films. He's like, this is one of my top five or at the very least top 10 movies ever so like four year like three four years ago i actually compiled a list of my favorite top 20 films i was actually i actually have honorable mentions as well can you tweet uh, this to me no it's it, it's oh. private it's private oh. it's in my it's in my diary it has a little lock it says no girls allowed oh uh but i went through my list and i, I have 20 films maybe two could could be cinemodity so clearly rob and i's genuine favorite films diverge yes that yes what two of them two out of 20 two out of 20 what what can we do that series and can we do that series next the the zach's list series because i want to (laughs) know can Uh we do two two movies out of 20 one of them you probably would agree with me on to a certain degree okay the other one maybe not okay well uh Maybe we'll get there. Maybe I will wear Zach down enough that he will start to share that with us, but I don't think it's happening this episode. Is that fair to say? I think it is. Okay. Well, uh, the one other thing, the one other very uh, artistic thing I want to mention about Triple to Belleville before we get into our usual uh, nonsense. So uh, for Zach and our audience, for anyone that might not know, an anthropomorphism. An anthropomorphism is a, a feature of a story in which an animal is given humanistic traits. So Watership Down is a very good example. Watership Down is a book by Richard Adams. Uh, it follows rabbits trying to find a new home, and the rabbits talk. The rabbits have human aspects. That is an anthropomorphism. That's what it's called. This is the only thing, Triples of Belleville is the only thing I've ever seen in my life that is a reverse anthropomorphism. And I want to know if Zach picked up on this because every character, nearly every character, has an animalistic trait or sound clip tied to them. For example, the cyclists, Champion and the two others that get kidnapped in this movie, whenever you see them on screen, you hear horse noises. Like they are running a race. That's the point of this movie. Tour de France cyclists gets captured. Three of them get captured so they can just, you know, become gambling objects for mob bosses. And you hear horse noises like they're racing objects every time they're on screen. There's a character who is working on machinery and his whole point is to be in the details. He's underneath this mechanical device and every time he's on screen he makes mouse noises. 
there's a lot of this stuff in this movie. We have reverse anthropomorphism. We have human characters displaying animal qualities. Did you pick up on this, sack? That's my question. Well, so, like I said, yes. Like the little, the little mousy mechanic. I have to say, really, the, I, I, I get where you're coming at with that. I didn't pick up on that, but I, I believe you in that. It's probably there. But probably in undertones, it's not meant to be a, a hit you over the head moment. Or... Uh, I would say that. Um, so the example, one of the examples I have listed uh, to mention that I did not so far, uh, we have only one scene in the movie where all of the mob bosses are gathered for the actual race with the kidnapped Tour de France cyclists. And I think uh, one of the triplets of Belleville throws a grenade into the stands. Yep, and stick all. All of the henchmen run away, and there is a maybe one and a half second shot where we just see a bunch of mob bosses in the stands, and in that scene, oh. they, they play infant noises. They play baby noises. They actually have cooing of babies. So reverse anthropomorphism might not be the best sense or best phrase because these mob bosses aren't related to an animal. They're related to toddlers or infants, I should say, much younger than toddlers. Actually, I, when I watched that scene, I thought it was much more um, reminiscent of when the, again, I don't know the triplets by name, but the, the one that goes the frog fishing and throws mm-hmm. the grenade into the thing. I thought it was very reminiscent of that in the sense that, like, these these people are frogs, and that she's just sitting there lobbing the grenade into their oh. little pond, so to speak. Oh. It explodes, and they sit there, uh. and, then, like, all their ha- and then all their hats go flying into the in the other direction. That's a perspective I never thought of. It's a perspective I love to get by talking with Zach. But no, I've always seen that scene as they were babies without their henchmen. They were just... Um, writhing toddlers with nothing to do, nothing to save them because they didn't have their henchmen. Because the henchmen are tall. The henchmen are big people. The mob bosses are midgets. The mob bosses are, you know, as big as mice in reference to other animals. And and I really think they portrayed them as babies. But I love that perspective, Zach, that they were the frogs being blown out of the water. Right on. Right on. Okay. Yep, that's it. That's that's my insight. I'm done, folks. I'm checking out. I'm checking. I'm checking out. So, uh, the only reason I have to think Zach is not checking out, the only reason I think Zach uh, is wildly relieved that I chose to pick this movie to talk about. Um, you know, I think when I told Zach it was going to be Triple to Belleville that we were going to talk about today, he said, "Oh, cool! I can watch that movie. I've never seen it." But in the back of his head, there was one burning thought. I can't do voice acting things with this movie. There's no dialogue. None of the people who voice act are famous. They haven't done anything else. I think Zach is very excited with the fact that I can't talk about voice acting in an animated movie. Uh, So I can't. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, audience. I wish I could. I wish other people than the random sound engineers that worked on this movie did voices. Uh, But we do have a favorite line. I can give you that. Does that make it a little better, Zach? A favorite line? The, it will like, have to do. The, one of the only lines of dialogue we ever get in the movie, Madame Souza and the dog go to a restaurant because they're hungry when they first get to Belleville. 
and the waitress, the the morbidly obese waitress, delivers them a cheeseburger, a hamburger, and Madame Souza opens her little coin purse, and a moth flies out. And the waitress, the moth lands on the waitress's nose, and the waitress says, No money, no hamburger. No money, no hamburger. No money, no hamburger. That's my favorite line in the whole movie. There's like three lines in the whole movie. That's my favorite. No money, no hamburger. No money, no hamburger. Um, I have been said that in my real life. Someone has physically said that to me in real life. No money, no hamburger. No money, no hamburger. And that's why I love this so much. That's why you love that. No money, no hamburger. No money, no hamburger. Yes, I, I can relate to this infinitely because someone has actually looked me in the eyes and said that to me. No money, no hamburger. Uh, okay. Oh, well, at least, at least someone's dreams come true, so that's good to know. No money, no hamburger. <laughs> uh, the hamburgers do look pretty good, though. Oh, my God. They're deli- they look delicious. I would have money. I would have a hamburger. But you don't have any money. I, what do you mean I don't have any money? Just because I don't have it. I mean, what? I mean, we we make what? We made what? Two cents during this podcast, I think. No, we have you no made money two cents. No we have not made two cents. We haven't made a cent. Okay, so if I if I'm buying a burger on the Cinemodities company credit card, it's gonna get denied. That's what definitely. You're no one's even giving us credit oh, to get God. the credit card. That sucks. I get more money from my real job than this. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> oh, so that was one thing I want to talk about. Um, you know, well, not one thing. The things I did talk about: the animation, the music, the uh, the the little blips of dialogue, things like that. Um, what else is there to talk about? I do have some things. Is there anything else left on your list, Zach? Are there any? Questions you had in this movie? Maybe a story point you didn't pick up on? Well, one Anything thing I, I can answer ask, you? At the end of the movie, when they're pedaling across the bridge, and then we cut in champion much older, watching the screen, watching the TV again. Ah. And then he turns around and says something out the window, and the movie ends. Yes. Elaborate. So, uh, good question. At the, the very first scene of this movie is a black-and-white rendition of a a theater performance. And in this theater performance, there are many performers, but one of the acts, probably the the main act, it kind of wraps all the others together, are the triplets of Belleville. That is the first thing we get to see in this movie. They are performing the song that I fell in love with, Belleville Rendezvous. And at the end of that scene, it zooms out from the black-and-white, you realize it's a TV, and Madame Souza has one of the first lines of the movie, and it's one of my favorite lines ever. Uh, it's not my favorite line in this movie, but it's one of my favorite lines ever. We might have to have a whole episode devoted to how I rank and categorize favoritism, uh, because people have always oh, asked, how can, how, can it not, how can it not be your favorite line of the movie, but it's your, one of your favorite lines ever? You know, It can do that. That's a thing. Madame Souza says... Is that it then? What have you got to say to Grandma? Is it over, do you think? Is that it then? What have you got to say to Grandma, eh? Is it over, do you think? That's what she says, and she's talking about what they just watched, her and Champion, in her kitchen. At the end of the movie, the whole story ends. It zooms out to Champion, much older, sitting in the same exact spot, 
without his grandma, without Madame Souza, and he says something along the lines, I think it's over. Yes, I think that's probably it. It's over, grandma. I take that to mean that the uh, entire movie, uh, that's up to debate. We can talk about that if you want. I think the last scene is meant to imply that everything in the movie actually happened and it was retold to Champion by Madame Souza and what we got to see was him remembering it as an older man. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Yeah, I can I get behind that. Because his grandma, Madame Souza, is dead. His grandma passed away, unfortunately. She's one of the greatest characters ever. I love Madame Souza. Her and Bruno, the dog. But she has passed away. And he is remembering the story that she told when they went to save him. And she met the triplets of Belleville, these famous performers. And at the end of it, he goes, I think that is the end. I think that is. And it's kind of a cap on, you know, it is... This is something I love about this movie. It is a very simple, self-contained story. A cyclist gets kidnapped. Uh, the grandmother goes to save him and recruits or gets the help of three, you know, kind of uh, dying performers. They're not in their prime anymore. It's a very small, self-contained story. But what I love about it is how they handle it and how they realize that this is – they give it the gravity that it needs it's like Dread. I can't believe I'm comparing this to Dread. You know, oh, the recent... Man. Like, that is... He doesn't have to save the fucking world. He doesn't have to stop Thanos, who's gonna kill everybody. He has to get out of a building. That's the stories I like. Those are the stories I love. And that's this movie. It's a tiny story surrounded by someone caring about it. It's not like, oh, the human condition, we fall in love, isn't that great? It's just, this happened... And my grandma told me about it. It's perfectly simple. Cool. I didn't think of it that way. Right on. Right on. That's how I think of this movie. Oh, man. It's awesome. I, you should watch it again, Zach. You should watch it six more times. I can't do that. I have to watch Spirit of the Way 45 more times. <laughs> you, you're giving else. a spoiler. That's a jump ahead. <laughs> to, to, uh, so this movie I said is in my top ten, probably top five. Spirited Away is in my top five, probably top three. <laughs> oh, okay. Did you have anything else, Zach? Is there anything else you wanted to ask before I get into the, the, the other things I wanted to talk about with this movie? Nope. Go nuts, sir. Okay. Oh, go nuts. Go. Zach is saying go nuts as he uh, has his finger on the trigger for the battery acid spritz bottle. I'll tell you that, audience. <laughs> okay. Um, something that I do want to bring up that I thought was really interesting that I may not have picked up in, in previous viewings, uh, or at least maybe something that I, I didn't think about before. Do you think we're going to get a live action version of this? Do you think there's ever going to be a recreation? This was probably uh, initiated by your thought on Fantastic Planet. Oh, God. You, you were like, you know, why hasn't anybody remade this? And certainly this was early 2000s. Fantastic Planet was the 70s. But do you think that this could be something worthy of a, of a live action remake? It's funny. I, I did think about that while I was watching this. Okay, okay. I was trying to think, like, okay, how would you redo this, or, or how would you, okay, how would you do another, like, another iteration of this? Like, let's say you want, like, say someone absolutely loves this story and wants to retell it, retell it themselves, 
And so I was thinking about that because it is so specific in its um in its design. Yes. I don't know how you could. I guess much how I erroneously said that Marilyn Manson was going to make threatened to make a a Fantastic Planet live action film that was Jared Leto. That would be who really should be Jared Leto. Yes. <laughs> yes, Jared Leto. Only Jared Leto would be audacious enough to threaten to make a live action film of a very unique looking animated film. But um, no, I don't see it. A, I don't think there's enough of a fan base for this. Uh, mm. Much like Fantastic Planet, I don't think okay. there's anyone clamoring for a, a another iteration of this. I think it's perfect the way it is. In the incarnation, I don't think you could improve upon it, considering the fact that it's probably the vision of one individual, or at the yes. very least, maybe a handful. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I don't. Like I said, I think if someone truly loves something, they wouldn't feel they have to redo it. I think if you love something, you love it the way it's in. You don't think you can improve it. Or if you did try to sit there do something different, you'd all be, you'd be um, creating faults, not improvements. Okay, sure. Okay, that's a fair point. That's a fair unless point. you're Jared Leto. I can imagine Jared Leto threatening <laughs> to remake anything. I can imagine yes, at this point yes. he'll threaten to remake anything if he wants to do it. There is a certain type of person where when they encounter something that they love, they feel that they really take to heart that uh, what is it? Uh, oh God, I'm losing the blank is the best form of flattery. Imitation. Impersonation. Imitation, yes. I, I think there are some people out there who, when they really love something, they feel they need to recreate it. Thankfully, no one has felt that way about Fantastic Planet or Triplets of Belleville yet. The question I would pose to you, Zach, that I thought was interesting that I had on this time through, um, and seeing as you saw it today, so it's fresh in your mind, if there was a live-action remake, if there actually was a live-action version of this movie... And you were given the choice. You could play any part in this movie. What part would you want to play? That's the question I have for you. That's that's oddly specific. I mean, um, yes, but that's that you. I mean, you can keep saying that phrase in this podcast, or you can just accept that that is me. <laughs> I am oddly specific. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, do you have any this. ideas? Because when I rewatched this, I had this thought in mind, and there's two characters I think I would love to have the opportunity to play. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't. Do you want me I... to give my answer, and maybe you can think sure. about it? Okay. Sure. So the first character, probably my first choice. You know, if they gave me a little list where I could rank my choices for who I wanted to play, the first is the waiter of the Baroque cabaret where the. Uh, Triplets of Belleville and Madame Souza play their song with their household instruments. Mm-hmm. So in this movie, I don't know if you picked up on this, Zach, uh, the mob boss, the main mob boss who has kidnapped the Tour de France cyclists, he goes to a Baroque cabaret for dinner. He goes to get some entertainment. Like oh, it's just, yes. Yeah, yeah, and I in know. this scene, we get a waiter. This waiter literally bends over backwards. His spine is a noodle. This waiter literally contorts his body to serve the mob boss. If this is not the greatest use of animation to embellish a character, I don't know what is. This character makes a U-shape at one point. He literally bends over backwards for his clientele. I would play that character. I would love to play the waiter because it's so subtle, it's so detailed, and it's so meaningful. When you realize it, that scene actually sets up how important 
the mob bosses are and how much power the French wine center has. That would be my first choice to play in the live action of this movie. I would do yoga and stretch exercises for years to be able to contort myself how this waiter contorts it for the sake of this movie. What do you think, Zach? Did you expect me to say that? <laughs> uh, no, but to be fair, if I, if I thought properly, yes. If I had thought properly, uh, something that the audience should know, basically every time Zach and I are not recording, I'm screaming at Zach to think properly. That's one of my biggest complaints. <laughs> so he's my first choice. I have a second choice. Okay. Uh, the second choice, if, if they actually had a contortionist, someone who could pull off the bending better than I could, I would like to play the odds keeper. The person who runs the chalkboard during the Tour de France mob boss uh, betting race. This is the, the character that when one of the cyclists runs out of breath and falls off the machine, he shoots in the face and then crosses off their odds on the chalkboard and keeps going. <laughs> I would play that character. This is also the character um, that gets hit in the head with a frying pan by one of the triplets of Belleville when they're mm-hmm. making their big daring escape. Um Once again, I'm very upset that we have an audio podcast. There are multiple shots of this character's face, the odds keeper. He can't put his lips together. There's no scene where his lips touch each other. He shows teeth in every scene. It's a very interesting animation style. And he's my second choice, Zach. I would would like to be that character if I can't be the waiter. Did I give you enough time? Did I give you enough time to think about? I want to be the little mousy mechanic. Ah, okay, okay. Like you don't, you don't want to be Madame Souza? No, I, I couldn't do her justice. Okay, the mousy mechanic, right? Because I, so, I, I think, I think it'd be fun getting a shave in public when someone puts like a hot washcloth on my face like, in the middle of a street corner. You never done that? No, well, I guess, not, re- I guess not street recently. corner. Street corner. I've never had a, a, a like a razor shave on a street corner, but I've had hot whack, uh, well, not hot, whack, hot foam uh, razor shaves in barber shops. Have you done that before? No. Oh my god, that's one of the greatest feelings in the world. Like a close shave in that spot by your ears where it's like, why the fuck is hair growing that close to my ears? And they can shave it, and it's warm? That's a great feeling. I've never done it out in the open air, though. You should try oh, well, it. You should try okay, it, then. Yeah, you should check it out. So, okay, the mousy, uh, the mousy engineer. Do you have a second choice? Is that your first priority? No, I, unfortunately, I put all my chips on the mousy engineer. Okay, Zach, so I don't want to burst your bubble, but I know, like, what you physically look like. How are you going to pull off, like, the, the eight-inch tall aspect that this character needs? <laughs> well, to be fair, I, I figure they could use CGI. You, you want to be CGI'd? Well, uh, well enhancing. Not entirely, but enough to make me look small and mousy. What's a, can you give me an example of an enhancement versus entire... Okay, Avatar. The main character no, like, of Avatar. That like, was a completely different like, character. Like Captain America in the first Avenger. You're going to sit ah, there shrink me down. Make me look okay. scrawny. But what opposite? They're going to make you look better. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. They're going to make you look better for the role, not scrawny to lead up. I gotcha. Okay. Okay, interesting. Right on. So yes, we both picked pretty minor roles. That's pretty cool. Um, another question I have for you, Zach. Why don't we get Madam Souza cosplay? 
Why don't we get triplets of Belleville cosplay? The triplets of Belleville, you get three people of the same height. That's not difficult to pull off. It's fucking like three different colored coats and three different colored hats and you're good. Why have I never seen that? I I mean, for the audience, I do a fair share of conventions. You know, I I love Comic-Con. I love the panels. I love, you know, uh, Gen Con for gaming in Indianapolis and stuff like that. Why do I never see triplets of Belleville cosplay? Do you know, Zach? Zach, do you know? I do not know. I really Zach, don't. I am asking someone who knows less about cosplaying than I do. I don't know why I'm expecting an answer. <laughs> but but audience, come on. Let's do it. Let's do some Matt Souza cosplay. Let's do some uh let's do some Bruno the Dog cosplay. Let's get a let's get like a dream sequence black and white Bruno the Dog cosplay. How cool would that be? Make it stop. Make it stop. <laughs> Zach, did you realize that the triplets of Belleville has a post credit scene? Does it really? Yeah, if you watch it the whole way through, you will get one more scene at the very end. I'm you're telling me, you're telling me go- Nick Fury shows up and recruits Madame Souza for part no, of the, the Avengers? The, the post credit scene is the pedal bolt rental person still waiting for Madame Souza to return in 20 minutes. That is the post credit scene. Okay, so earlier in this movie, when, when one of the amazingly animated ships is leaving uh, France, it's leaving kind of the main area of the movie, uh, Madame Souza wants to follow it, so she rents a pedal boat, but she only has 20 francs, or one franc, or something like that. And the guy, the salesman, points out to her that one franc only gets her 20 minutes in a pedal boat. And she says, yeah, she's like, she agrees. She nods her head a bunch. She's like, I'm going to have it back in 20 minutes. And as she pedals off into the distance, we get a scene of the pedal boat rental person standing at the beach, looking at his watch. It is the same exact scene in the post credits, except it is dark out. It is dark out and he is still looking at his watch, waiting for her to return. That's the post credit scene. I think it's nifty. Yeah, it's nifty. That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Zach is, I don't know, taking anti-sleeping medication so he can stay awake for everything I have to talk I'm, about. I'm now I'm spritzing the battery acid in my mouth just to stay awake. <laughs> Zach's like, if I spray it in my eyes, I won't be able to blink and I won't be able to fall asleep. <laughs> That's my rationale. We have a certain question to answer, Zach, that I want to bring up right now. Mr. Snack Master. The Connoisseur of Context and the Lego Mania. The last one is false. Zach is the Snack Master and the Connoisseur of Context. That's it. That's all the nicknames he has so far. That's what you think. Snack Master. Uh, what, do you, what snack? Do you have a snack for this movie? I have a few uh, snacks, I think. Oh, I bet you do. <laughs> um, I think that you have to have something involving frogs. Okay, you took all my ideas. That's the thunder of my ideas. We get a scene in this movie with um, the triplets of Belleville just eating frogs. Every part of this meal is frog prepared differently. That's a big part of this movie, a big scene in this movie, I should say. That's it? Yeah, I I thought, do you you have a certain Uh, dish of frogs? I thought that's where you were going to go. I'm going to say... I'm going to six. Obviously, I've never had frogs. I imagine frog Rob probably eats frogs every day of the week, um, <laughs> if not already three times today. Uh, so I'm going to suggest something with frog 
but it's more in the shape of frogs. It's not actual frog, but maybe it's like chocolate frog's legs in the shape of frog's legs. Something. Okay. I really like the idea of having tadpoles. I like the idea of that. Like it is a bite-sized dessert snack. Um, I don't know how to do that. Maybe some sort of like, maybe like a, a, a hard candy, like, a, like an after-dinner mint. But I do <laughs> not af- sit there. An after-dinner tadpole. <laughs> after-dinner tadpole mint. I oh like my that. God. <laughs> I, wor- I think it's worth noting that even Bruno, who eats uh, sardine slop, will not eat the frog slop. Well, to be fair, that frog, there was a living frog in his dinner at one point yes. in the movie. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So, yes, Zach and I are in agreement. You should eat something with frog. Um, that was actually one of the questions I had for Zach, if he's ever had frog before. He beat me to the punch. He did not know I was going to ask that question. And he even stole my thunder by saying that I have eaten frog before, which I yep, have. There it is. There it is. Yeah. I don't eat it every day. I don't have access to it, but every I certainly week. have it. Um, I've had frog's legs before. They are very much akin to chicken wings. It's literally just a part of an animal where there is meat on a bone. That is the concept of it. There's a lot less meat on a frog leg than chicken wing, for sure. Um, but it wasn't bad. I mean, it's meat. You season it. You cook it. It tastes good. It's not like I ate a raw frog or anything like that. It's like the people who are grossed out by eating snails, escargot. Like, it's seasoned. You're not just eating a snail. Like, there's pesto sauce or something on it. There's garlic. It's not just going to taste like a like a like a slug or anything like that, right? So, so, I think so. so. So frog is not weird. I would say frog is good. It's just minimal. And that's just, that's just a French cuisine thing. They eat minimal things. You know, America does the big portions. Europe has always been a fan of smaller portions drawn out over a longer period of time. Where America is the complete obvious, we need to eat as much food as we can as fast as possible. It's just the way it is. It's a cultural difference. And so Zach has never had frog. I've had frog. And Zach actually answered my follow-up question. Have you ever had popped tadpoles? Because that's how I view it in this movie. Uh, one of the triplets of Belleville has a jar on their dish rack, or, uh, sorry, um, you know, little cabinet space that is just labeled dried tadpoles. And she puts them in a saucepan and heats them up. And pops them like popcorn. Yep. That is the... I'm not just saying that's the snack you should eat during this movie. I'm saying that's a snack that I need to eat while I am alive in reality. I need to try this. This seems like it would be so strange and so intriguing. I have to do it. Is this something you would eat? Would you, If I actually had this cooked and prepared properly so it wouldn't give you diseases... It would actually be a real food because I, I, I honestly, I don't want you coming back to me with any nonsense. If this was a real dish, would you try it? I'm not saying would you order it. I'm saying, Zach, would you even taste it? One pop tadpole. Would you do it? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> this is like total recall all over again. I'm being indecisive because I. Re- it's not the taste of the tadpole. It's the it's fact the- it was popped. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ride. No, to be fair, when it comes to food, it has to be the overall experience. Does it smell good? What's it look like? Things yes, like that. And it's, 
that's part of why I'm interested in it because I have no idea. I don't know what this would smell like. I don't know what this would look like. I don't know how long this would take to cook. I don't know how you dry tadpoles effectively. But that's what I'm saying. If you had the opportunity, would you take it? Maybe. <laughs> that sucks. That sucks, everybody. I don't know. You're giving, you're giving me these, these very specific scenarios I've never contemplated before being told yes or no. The gun is to your head. <laughs> Rob's like, you hear Rob's name like in 20 years in the news. Like, local mayor arrested by police by putting a gun to someone to say, would you eat the tadpole snack or not? <laughs> Oh, that's good. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so Zach says maybe that'll be a Cinemodities update when uh, next time I'm near Zach in in person, I will probably commandeer my parents' kitchen to make popped tadpoles, and we'll see what Zach thinks about it. (laughs) But I think that's the end-all snack. I think that is the snack to eat for this movie because it's in this movie. It is interesting. It's intriguing. It's something I never thought of before. It It deserves the attention. All right, are we going to discuss the cinemodity status or late night status? Or We have to discuss the cinemodity status. As it was established in the wrap-up of our Dean Norris episode, uh, there isn't really a, a cinemodities canon, or sorry, late night canon so much, because Zach and I just love to disagree with each other. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, I would use this as a late night movie hesitantly. Uh, I think some people would fall asleep to this. There is a, a major lack of dialogue, and if you are not... Uh, audio inclined or auditarily inclined, it would be tough to follow this, I think. You know, I'm thinking of the people I know that just sit on their phones all the time where they'd be like, oh, I can play a game during this. I won't miss anything. Those type of people. That's what I'm a little hesitant to show this for. As a cinemodity, absolutely. For all the points Zach made, whether or not I agree with his use of the word grotesque in the animation style, um, it is visually striking it grabs you from the beginning to the end uh it is well deserving of a cinemodity status and is something people should experience that's my opinion yeah i can get behind that i think i think visually striking is another good word here to describe this even going back to 14 years ago i think it was the um animation that definitely or at least the character design that definitely captures your imagination yes and I think, I think once you, maybe, Zach, if you rewatch this, um, if, you, if you have it in your mind from the get-go that characters are drawn as they, the whole idea of their, 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 uh, their place in life represents their appearance, not their appearance represents their place in life. I think that puts the whole movie in a different light. Like, you know, you might watch this movie cold and be like, oh my god, this person is deformed. But that's not it. It's it's that it's emphasizing another aspect of their character. No, it's, everything's intentional. It's not. Yes. It's not. Nothing in this film is trying to disturb you. Yes, yes. It's a great, great, great thing. Um, Unlike John Dilworth, who's a pervert that shouldn't be allowed near a children's TV network. <laughs> oh, oh! I, I just saw. There's one. Oh, I'm sorry. There's actually one other snack I would recommend during this movie. Uh, we have a scene where the um, the kidnap cyclists are like before the whole race with the mob bosses they're testing out the machine or something or actually now that i think about it it might be the beginning of that mob boss race scene uh all three cyclists are hooked up to wine bottles through an iv yeah i noticed that that's a good snack if you can iv yourself some wine 
Um, uh, that's just uh, Zach is probably going to disagree with me, but that's just a good way to live. If you can have a constant stream of wine pouring into your veins, you aren't going to be unhappy. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Oh, Zach, that means Zach has every comment. Okay. Every comment. Okay. So Zach agrees with Cinemondi status. Uh, hopefully Zach grows to love this movie as much as I do in the years since he's now finally seen it. Um, yep, yep, yep. But I, I, I think if there's nothing else to say, Zach, I actually have thought of something to end the episode. Oh, the yes. Gremlins theme played backwards? Oh, you have it half right. I think we should play Belleville Rendezvous backwards. Uh-oh. What do you think? Uh, I think we should give it a try. Yeah, why not? Do you see what it we sounds can always, like? We can always go back to the Gremlins theme played backwards. I mean, we can always go back to the N Inspiriority Complex theme backwards. I think that's, nah, that's our, th- that's our go suck. back to. I mean, they might suck, but we have a song of theirs. Let's exploit it as much as possible. <laughs> I think exploit's the key word here. Exploitation. Okay, so Ro- Belleville Rendezvous backwards. Let's see what it sounds like. I do have one more thing to talk about, Zach. I, I think I need to approach it the only way it can be approached at this point. Could you do me a favor and cue the X-Files music? Uh, oh god, we're getting back into that again. Have oh, you heard dear. this? Have, have you been hearing the X-Files music already? I didn't need to cue it. It's been no, going that's a sad part. I thought we left that behind with Dean Norris. Well, no, 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 no. Well, Dean Norris, uh, the X-Files music played. I don't know why. I don't know why the X-Files music played during me describing Dean Norris's traversement through cinematic history. Um, this one, I think, actually deserves the X-Files music. This oh, movie... Then. Okay. This movie focuses on bicycles a lot, right? Indeed, uh, indeed. Bicycles are a big point of this movie. And I have a theory about bicycles that I would like to pitch to Zach, because I think Zach has never heard it before. This is not an original theory, unfortunately. Uh, this is something that I, I think of very commonly ever since I first heard it. This is the theory of a philosopher called DeSelby. D-E space S-E-L-B-Y. DeSelby, that's how he's, like Sartre, you know, you find DeSelby. Um, okay, Zach, bear with me. Put the put the spray bottle away, Zach. Just listen, it's a cool idea, I swear. Every time you come into contact with something else, any other object, I'm touching a table right now, I'm touching a seat, I'm touching clothes, Zach is doing similar things. Every time you come into contact with an object, some of your particles and some of your cells transfer into that object and some of that object's cells and particles transfer into you and so this is what i want to put forward whether or not you agree with me on that point the transferring of particles let's say this you fall in love with bicycling with cycling with wanting to win the tour de france and you are so in love with the concept 
that you ride your bike every single day. You train harder and harder. You spend more time on your bike. You keep riding it. You get better, faster, stronger, all that stuff. But every time you do this, more of you moves to the bicycle and more of the bicycle moves to you. So Zach, the question I have for you is where do we strike a balance? I am an avid cycler these days. I live in Colorado. Uh, Colorado is a huge place for bicycling. They have bicycle lanes on every street. There's roads that I can take to get to my work that don't even cross regular roads with cars. It's just on a bike. How much longer do I have? The more I spend on a bicycle, the more that bicycle becomes me and the more I become that bicycle. Now, certainly, I'm working under the assumption that I do not want to become a bicycle. No. So how do I strike this balance? Do you have any advice for me, Zach? A uh, healthy dose of vitamin C every morning. Vitamin C? I have no problem with vitamin C. I get more vitamin C than necessary. So next, next answer. Uh, Don't say vitamin D. Vitamin K. Vitamin K? Is there a vitamin K? There should be if there isn't. Is that potassium? No, no. Oh, God. That was, wow. That was, a, please edit that out, Zach. That was a stupid thing see? for me to say. See? Even you no, make, see, no, I told K you. Is the, K is the element for potassium. It's not the vitamin. Edit that see? out. No, edit it out. Oh, God. This isn't going to get edited out. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Okay, so. I do not, to be fair, this is not, this is the cinema of these podcasts, not the philosophy out of these podcasts so i don't have an answer to that yes uh zach okay you think about it zach this is I'll, deep, I'll sleep on it this is a deep idea i'm throwing you i mean i'm sure right now you're thinking oh man there's a certain chair i know that i sit on all the time and i don't want it to become me and me to no. become a chair and so you have i to hate it when that happens stuff. you everybody does thank you zach thank you for agreeing with me that's all i want is some recognition <laughs> Is that what that is that what you want from all this? Just a little no, I, I want my ideas to be shared. I think that's what I really want. Um, so yeah, that's something to keep in mind. Everyone out there, when you're on a bicycle, when you're on a chair, when you're on your car, you're switching particles. You gotta watch out for that. You wanna make sure that you aren't spreading yourself too thin. And even when you might think you're not spreading yourself, part of you is leaving. Everywhere you go, you leave a little part of you. And you got to remember that it's still there. Whether or not you can encounter it again, it deserves acknowledgement. And what That's does that have to do with the, And what does that have to do with the triplets of Belleville? Oh, uh, absolutely nothing. <laughs> All right. So, so the last five minutes has been excised out of the podcast. No, cool, got it. No, I just gave the most important life lesson. Uh, the reason this ties to triplets of Belleville is because triplets of Belleville involves bicycles, and I am worried about transferring my existence into a bicycle and i thought my rant about florida being my salvation was nuts <laughs> maybe, maybe this will go maybe this will go at the end it's kind of like a post post credits tease or something maybe i think it should be this should be the whole episode like just on repeat like this no absolutely this on not put my foot down nope <laughs>